0: For 25% off your DNA test kit.
1: Kim reached out after the event, and we were so excited to start brainstorming more and more ways that we can just keep challenging the system. And so I think that is ultimately what has borne a friendship between Kim and myself, but also like a really badass duo. Mm. is the canna mom show a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry
2: your host joyce gerber
1: mom lawyer political activist has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their cannabis stories with you so go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, to sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Mom Show with Joyce Gerber.
3: From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber.
0: All right, welcome back to The Cannamom Mom Show, where we are elevating the women building the emerging cannabis industry. One can story. At a time. We are back. Uh, so, today we have two guests today. Uh, each of them has a very impressive canna story, so I'm going to be brief.
3: Okay. Very cool.
0: But before I do introduce today's guest, I am continuing with the Canna Mom Show culture section for Black History Month. Mm. And today, I want to introduce our audience to Francis Ellen Watkins Harper, who I actually has no canna connection. <laughs> this is just culture.
3: hmm Okay maybe she
0: does she is a 19th century black poet who established herself as a fierce champion for newly freed enslaved black women one of her most famous poems is entitled the slave auction i of course read about her in the newspaper the new york times because that's how i am and i just think this is an interesting i read the obituaries do you read the obituaries
3: (laughs) oh you're one of those people (laughs) yeah i mean I, i do read them occasionally and the older we get, Joyce, sadly, the more we have to check them to see if anybody we know is in there.
0: It's it's also, they're very interesting stories. These are fascinating human That's beings true. who have lived, and they bring up these ones from the past who probably should have been recognized, and she is one of these people. So they bring these stories back occasionally, and um, this is one they highlighted this week. So if you're looking for a good obituary, something you didn't know about, <laughs> read about Frances Ellen Watkins-Hopper
3: and if you allow me Joyce I'll recommend something for Black History Month if you haven't excellent. if you haven't seen the documentary on Bill Russell the legendary Celtics player on Netflix it's excellent and it's just a reminder of how he started playing professional hoops in the late 50s early 60s and in Boston it was not an Austin. easy time in Bo- it was not an easy time <laughs> to be a black dude in Boston and you hear stories about why he was a little bit of a, a bitter guy, but there were horrible things happening to him. People didn't treat him well. His house got ransacked, things like that. But he but he was a leader, right, alongside Muhammad Ali and and Jim Brown and, and in fact, Dr. King. So that's a good one, too.
0: It, it's the paradox of life. Sometimes where things are terrible, we've had these people come up and they use their power. So I don't know. Give me a voice to stories that for whatever reason, we have chosen not to elevate previously. We so, are- Trying to be part of that network. All right, one more thing. I also wanted to remind our listeners that NECAN, the New England Cannabis Conference, is just a few weeks away. And in addition to the three days of programming and social events where you can connect with all sorts of people working in the cannabis industry, you can also join me. On Saturday, I'm moderating a panel on hemp.
3: Mom, I remind our listeners, a former NECAN Best Podcast winner. That's why people can't see my Zoom background, but it says an award-winning podcast. We are. You are, Joyce.
0: Though, Mark, if you're listening, I still don't have my trophy. Hey, <laughs> what the heck?
3: Is it a cool trophy? Does it have a little, darn it?
0: Maybe, our, I think maybe these people are winners. They might know. Okay, one last thing before we guest. Um, a quick update on my grow my own. My seeds have germinated. I have stopped obsessing about them. They've got little, the caladium. Cal- I always say that wrong. The little leaves have started I and know. it's getting some roots. And this weekend I will be putting them in their big girl pots. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they graduate to the big girl pots. That's exciting. I, I can't wait. Next week, they'll be... How long before they're actually ready to harvest?
0: Many months. So I'm just oh, been okay. germinating. Well, it's come out of the little seed. And now she, they, It's actually three of them. Although if it's they, are they non-gender binary? I don't know.
3: <laughs> they identify as leaves, I believe. But but uh, you've said this before on the show, but I think, where did you get the seeds? What do you, how do you do this?
0: You can go online. You can sell seeds. Technically, THC isn't THC, so you can have... Inter- state commerce or something. I know our guests can answer that better than me, but you can sell seeds. So if it's you can find a reputable okay. place, you can find good seeds and one seed. And that's it. Okay. So if you follow me, Instagram, the tent's set up, my husband sent me, do it, Helped me do it. Everything's ready. I feel more prepared for this than I did when I had my own children. So good luck to me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we all wish you good luck and look forward to the updates.
0: He will. Okay, so oh oh, I do want to give a real child update. So I do have a real child, mm. Josh Lampkin, who is featured this week in a Nashville magazine for not his guitar playing, his guitar making.
3: So cool! I saw that. Mm-hmm. I saw that you posted it on Facebook, and so that's a passion of his. In addition to playing, he mm-hmm. what or is there something special about his guitars, or just I mean they're handmade, I guess.
0: They're, they're handmade guitars. You need yep. a handmade guitar, and you're they're beautiful. They does amazing finishes. He does inlays. He sets stuff up. He's down in Nashville where a lot of people play guitar. So, yeah, look him up. Electric electric,
3: electric, or acoustic?
0: Electric. I okay. think it's harder to make acoustic. Yeah, so, I would imagine H- it's
3: really hard to make an acoustic because you got to get the, the air thing correct. But that's excellent.
0: Yeah, so Josh Lampkin in the paper this week. All right. Wait, now, if next. people
3: want to buy his guitars, is there a website they can go to? Oh, yes, there
0: is. Lampkin, L-A-M-K-I-N, guitars, down in oh, Nashville. Right. And he's... Yeah, they're interesting. Maybe they'll be collector items someday, when he's whatever. When I'm not reading about him in the tabloids, I'm like, "Is that what's Josh doing today?" Oh, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> so All, good stuff. All right, this isn't the Josh Lampkin show. This is the Cannabis Show. All right, let's go on. We have today two amazing guests, so let's introduce them. We have two empowered women in Massachusetts cannabis with us today. Our first guest is the CEO and owner of Stem Dispensary in Haverhill, Mass. A woman-owned adult use dispensary. She also hosted the Green Goddess Golf Invitational last year that brought together women from across Massachusetts cannabis industry and raised money for a local charity. Our second guest is a licensed labor and employment attorney here in Massachusetts, the co founder of the Hempist, and a Massachusetts Cannabis Advisory Board member. She served as the Director of Outreach. For the Yes on Four campaign to regulate and tax marijuana in Massachusetts way back in the olden days of 2016. <clears throat> today we are chall- today they are challenging in court the community impact fees imposed on local Massachusetts cannabis dispensaries, arguing that the officials have failed to explain how the steep payments are related to any negative effects caused by the presence of cannabis shops. Here today to share their own Canada Journeys, give an overview of the important work they are both involved with, and explain why they felt compelled to challenge their host agreement, community impact fees, and what will change when they win. Please welcome to the Canada Mom Show, Caroline Pinot and Ken Napoli. Welcome, ladies.
1: Thanks for having I... us, Joyce.
0: Nice. Thanks. All right. So let's start. It's always difficult with two. You are. <laughs> so Just each of you to give a brief introduction why you've chosen to devote your professional life to cannabis. And let's just start with Kim. So just basically short, what's your can of why and uh, how did you find yourself here in
2: of law? Well, it's in some ways it's the only place I've ever been, <laughs> Okay, that's where I started. Uh, I hope it's where I'll end. In 95, I found myself on the Boston Common at the Freedom Rally and have been going ever since. I was a freshman in high school. And was at that point, had previously to that been subject to like the dare to keep kids off drugs and all that stuff. And marijuana is bad. So it was the first time I'd ever heard anybody suggest that cannabis should be legal. So it made me think about it. I came to Boston for college in in 99 and stumbled upon a store called The Hempist on Newbury Street. Became friends with the owners and started working around in the store. Did ultimately a fashion show for them at the Freedom Rally, which was really cool combining my love for uh, of clothes and, and cannabis. So, to get on there. so much so that I began dating the owner, who's now my husband. is <laughs> a love story. Oh, we should have. It, it, it. It's, it's kind of crazy because he was actually on the stage at the Freedom Rally in 95 when I was there. So like I was there watching him. I was in the audience watching him on stage, but obviously we didn't meet until many years later. But we opened up the Hempus and Harvard Square in 2006. And the whole point of the store is to educate the public on cannabis and to bring cannabis back to the regulated marketplace. In 2012, I decided that the the best way to approach doing that would be to go to law school. So I went to law school. At that point, I had a one-year-old or a two-year-old. And my you, goal was wait, to wait, wait, see my You went
0: back to... Let's back up on the law school thing. So my greatest accomplishment is that I finished the bar, took finished law school and finished the bar while pregnant. But you did it with little kids? What in
2: God? I pret- did. I was... I was breastfeeding during the LSAT and remember feeling like, "How oh god, I'm gonna need to pop? Like, what, what am I gonna do?" They now have these accommodations for for nursing mothers for during the LSAT, but they didn't have that in 2011. So I was at the mercy of. um my letdown reflect which wasn't that great but i have done something they no walked I've across ever done. the stage with me at graduation that was uh was That's my my chronic achievement I, they were my why right like why am i doing this i want okay. to show okay. my kids all right so okay so we well, uh,
0: can i kind of back up so all right so yeah, you know, absolutely so canon mom you were like an original canon mom then so what was your life like in terms of like i mean this is a while ago how old what what year was this before? i went to law school in 2012 was 1L in 2012, graduated in 2015. All right. So it was a while ago and things weren't yeah. really, there was no normalization back then. So we,
2: my first year of law school, so it was 2012. And in that fall, we legalized medical here and Colorado legalized for adult use. Yeah. Obviously, California had been going on medical for years prior to that. But, but you were a mom. Like, that's kind of the story. So what I were your friends? At- right.
0: What was your family so- doing?
2: Because I had I had been at the Hempest since 2004, my parents helped me open the store in Harvard Square and Cambridge in the garage. Okay, Um, they understood the the ethos, like the reasoning behind the store and the why for the store, and that this is hemp, that this is cannabis, that it's safer than alcohol, right? Like that there's reasons for this um, textile to be an industrial and industrial commodity in the United States, and that there's real opportunity here. So at that point, it looked like hemp was going to be like the leader, the winner. Yeah, um, but obviously that is all that's changed another in 2012 when Colorado legalized, and then they came to Mass. So when I graduated in 2015, and my then now three year old, and five year old walked across the stage with me, I was became employed at a labor and employment law firm in Boston. Okay. But at the same time, I joined the campaign to legalize, and I was the director of outreach. We hosted so I'm going to
0: come back up to Lost All
2: right. So you joined this
0: firm. Was it a cannabis-friendly firm? Was it somebody who you had to introduce this to? Do they understand what hemp was? Was this an issue at all? I, I mean,
2: <laughs> so there are people at the firm. It was a small firm. It was a boutique law firm, and they're great okay. people. Their specialty was not cannabis. It was employment law. So. Okay. Uh, I obviously let them know I'm doing this and okay. they some of them had personal opinions on it. And I was happy to discuss that with them, but it wasn't what they did for work and it wasn't part of their their practice. So it just right. wasn't didn't really touch it. But at a certain point after we legalized, after we were successful, I had a choice to make. Do I say the employment law firm? Do I say and work work in you know, the legal field as an attorney or do I join this industry that I helped create? And yep. I chose at that point, like I'm going to jump, like I'm okay. going to take this leap of faith and and jump feet first into the cannabis industry. So I began working for doing of treatment access at that point. And I was doing marketing, just, you know, okay. rank and file low level okay. stuff was elevated to be the director of diversity programs there. The governor appointed me then at that same time to be on the cannabis, cannabis advisory board as his expert in minority business development I've since been reappointed three times in my can you just explain term right to
0: my Can you just explain to my uh, listeners what the Cannabis Advisory Board is, just so they know the level sure. of importance? So,
2: yep. Chapter 55, the Act of 2017, law that Life Cannabis for Adult Use, created the Cannabis Control Commission. That's the regulatory body that oversees, creates, and implements all of the Laws that regulate cannabis. The Cannabis Advisory Board is the twenty-five member body that gives advice to the can- to the P- Cannabis Control Commission. We do it either at their request or at our own will. So, they might have questions about what is good for equity. What should we do yeah. with this particular rule? How should we change this? And we will look at it. We have subcommittees. There's a, quite a few of them. At least four. They're part of the law. We've added some since then. I've been on the industry subcommittee, the market participation subcommittee yes. and the public safety so, committee um, and so, community so, mitigation subcommittee. So is this it, it, is it
0: something other states are using for social equity things? Is this a, something we've got from someone else? This is,
2: this is independent of social equity, but okay. it certainly sort of like addresses equity. social equity. Yeah, yeah. And there are cannabis advisory boards um, oh, okay. in codified and other states and also m- municipalities have created their own cannabis advisory boards ah, also. Because all of this in an effort for people, I think, to say like, you know what, there's other people that are smarter than us <laughs> about certain areas and we don't know everything. And when we can use experts and pull them in for help, that's what we'll do. So that's what this cannabis that's advisory good. board is and I've been okay. fortunate enough to be a part of it. All right, so I'm, 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 I'm never gonna get to Caroline. All
0: right, so let's, uh, <laughs> all right, so you uh, jump ship, you start working for NETA, which is a dispensary. Uh, yeah.
2: worked for guess. them for a while, a couple, for four or five years. When they merged with Parallel, worked with them. Unfortunately, once COVID hit, my I had just now we're up to four kids. I had my fourth kid in 2020, and I know it's like we skipped over a lot, but there was two more kids, and she was born March 13th, 2020. Mm-hmm. Found out that Get she had cancer wait, on wait. October 26th. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait! Yes, you had a you know. baby
0: on March 13th, 2020.
2: I did Friday the 13th. The day you were, was you <laughs> were in the hospital. Were you in the hospital? Mm-hmm. A whole other story. Oh, yeah. Lordy, Lord. OK. So it is. Babe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. OK. Yes. All right, Caroline. Number four. We'll get to you later.
2: <laughs> and, we can, and all this could be edited. So, right. It's <laughs> I time. So I then she ended up ended up having cancer, which, of course, has greatly oh, yeah. impacted my life. And she was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, was admitted right from the emergency room to the ICU. We spent seven months in the hospital with her getting treatment. And I've always been an advocate for patient, advocates for, for patient access. I'm a patient and have been since 20 Fourteen. This was the first incident I had where I saw the necessity for advocacy, vigorous advocacy, and access at the patient level, and how it's now been eleven years since we've had legalized cannabis in mass for at least for medical in Massachusetts, and we still don't have any real synergy between the hospitals and the regulatory piece of it. There's no medical cannabis access in hospitals.
0: This is a way that you would envision. But this combines so many of those topics. It's obviously it's medical. It's pediatric cannabis medical, which is getting lost in the conversation completely. This idea right. that you have been in this industry for like a bazillion dog years. So you know it from the start. You could see it from the hemp part. And right. I, I don't know. That's like kind of a strange. It is just a strange twist of face to find yourself there on March 13th, 2020. And then uh, absolutely. Because I will say yeah. a lot of the stories I share are women who either have healed themselves, a the story where they've gotten so many medications and things have happened and they find it out of last resort, or their children yep. who are at the last resort and then families find it for them at the last resort. But this is different. You thought that maybe this is something you could access early on in her treatment. Or you thought Yeah, it. it
2: was it was it was I knew that we could. There the laws there are rules that govern how pediatrics and cannabis is accessed. She was not deemed terminal, so her access was Something that we'd have to work through. If she was right. in terminal, then technically she'd be able to access it. But short of that, the hospital said we have one person who knew who knows about this, and that person just left employment here. So we're like suddenly we're in the ICU, and my husband and I are the smartest people in the room about this. And that's not the situation that you want to be in when your child is hooked up to you know life saving blood transfusions and mm-hmm. receiving chemo directly into her heart and getting oxygen because her heart is. Yeah, anyway, that's not the situation you want to be in, suffice right. to say. I felt and I still feel as though information is lacking between the uh, healthcare care sector and the medical cannabis sector. There needs to be more fusion between the two. That's what I learned. And I used every opportunity and still do to share what I know about access and how to go about increasing that with folks who are currently still in the fight here and abroad. So I talked to people across the world, the Sorrowings, Australia, about how to use cannabis and in what ways they can use it to help feed their children. Wow. The Cam, how's she doing now? She is, she'll be three next month and she's been in remission for just over two years. And we wow. hope she stays that way. She's, she's wonderful. Name is Baby Shay. She'll call herself Dr. Shay now, though, so, weirdly. I wasn't
0: expecting all that. So there's a, so you your story combines a lot of whys. You have industry yeah. from business to, and to this sort of like very dramatic, which is sort of the turning point for a lot of people. But you were already, you're like the next generation. You came to this mo- moment in your life. And instead of finding it as a last resort, you figured out that this is something that could you could access and advocate for, which is similar mm-hmm. to actually a mm-hmm. lot of these women. Because what happens is they become the person they needed, which is literally what you're doing, too. So
2: yep yep yeah and i will be that person for everyone who needs it as well i have one of my friends morgan who i met through the hospital she was able to advocate for her son who had a brain tumor and they her advocacy allowed for them to give her the permission to give him the cannabis through his feeding tube like to administer it through the hospital's services so they were was, they were fully on board with it she treated him um and we fully believe that his his what is it quality of life was fully elevated he ultimately passed away this past october just after his second birthday but he lived as much as he possibly could and we credit cannabis with giving him the ability to do that as well as he did for as long as he could oh my so, god i'm getting chills everyone should be so lucky yeah all right um thanks for letting me share
0: that's just an amazing story that i wasn't quite expecting all right caroline
1: got some doozies she's got she's got all the gems you got three minutes okay go who are you? Why are you in this industry? And, and then we'll move on. <laughs> so I have a myriad of whys as well. My name is Caroline and I live in Haverhill, Massachusetts with my family, my husband, Adam, and our two children, Bodie and Charlie. Bodie is two and Charlie is five and similar ages to Kim's children. And we actually got to get them together over the holidays and it was really, really fun. But we love them so much. And I do think that they are our why. The other why is my, I lost my brother four years ago. And I was in the process of getting this business off the ground because I was ca- passionate about creating community around something scary. I previously held or owned a yoga studio in Haverhill for about 10 years and really saw this as kind of a seamless transition, albeit a different industry. But the same sense of having to cre- make people feel safe around something, um, become educated about something. And then when I lost my brother, suddenly, and I was just kind of in the beginning midst of of cannabis, he didn't even know that I was kind of getting the the, the reins on this. But he was a huge cannabis lover, lifelong cannabis consumer, as am I. And I just think he would have been super excited about it and really proud of me for Kind of sticking to my gumption and pushing back in a system that's designed to be resistant towards independent operators, women, people of color. I think that I had the fortitude to kind of stick up to that, and I felt drawn to that challenge and and then and then kind of following our passion for creating this community in in spite of the pushback and knowing that we also had the strength and the courage to just keep going in spite of what, what people um, were saying. So grit, well, grit and
0: perseverance in like, I, I don't know if anyone's following my Instagram, it's one of the first shops I did on my Canada tour across Massachusetts. So STEM, she took me downstairs. I got to hang out with some of the buds. It was very fun. And it's just, a, and again, you're in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And people who don't know Massachusetts, Haverhill is an old industrial town. It's got a really quaint downtown area, but we did have some times when things weren't really in that area so much. And we, brought back cannabis and they've allowed you to be right on the main strip, right? It's a really nice store right next to like restaurants and hairdressers. And you're not in behind a bush underneath a stone where you have to have a secret code to find you. You're right there in the middle of the city, which is good.
1: Yeah, we felt very confident and about needing to be right downtown. We felt it was important to help normalize cannabis and certainly treat it the same way that alcohol is in our community. And there's a million bars and restaurants on the street. So my argument from the beginning was, why not here? Why not now? And the community really banned behind us in that effort. The city ultimately zoned downtown as a viable location and it has really enabled us to be a part of the community. We partner with so many of the downtown businesses, have great relationships with them, have a whole lot of fun, help support one another. They support yep. us, we support them. So that feels really nice. And also just being able to have people walk down from all of the neighborhoods around the downtown area and really feel like it's the local spot where you want to come. And that's exactly food. what it feels like. Yeah, it's like a very local, there's like a river behind it.
0: It's very bricky. It looks very New Englandy. We have uh, some customers
1: that come in every day. And certainly some customers that have, we have one customer that's been here more than like 380 times, which is, I mean, that's a lot. So it's like, we feel so lucky actually to have that type of loyalty and community sense of family where we, our bud tenders really work hard to get to know people. And we've worked with a lot of medical patients, although we're not a medical facility, a lot of medical patients that just love our store and our products and the community feeling that come in, have come in in their, in their final days of life, even, which has been a really like emotional thing to be a part of with our customers but that's really the vibe of our store and it is and it's it's an old and it's an old mill
0: it's really great to i've been there if you're in hayville check it out i think there should be like there's a a cannabis tour of la like downtown la there should be one of like sometimes a massachusetts or they're hey, we to...
1: could get one. We could start like Kim. That's another idea. We could do a like a whole me and Kim. We come up with all these like crazy ideas and try you to think like our place full enough yet. Right, so let's just talk about like this is a two of you. Okay,
0: so we have your kind of individual can of stories, pretty powerful in themselves. But how did you meet? What's the connection?
2: And just mm-hmm. what was the idea? Like, how,
1: how did you meet? Backwards then... or so forwards? I think
2: you... we met first. Well, I know first. I'd heard about Caroline. I mean, who hadn't right? Like, there's this stuff going on in Haverhill. The city is trying to do something that is clearly outside of the bounds of what the law allows. And this girl's up there putting up a hell of a fight. And I was just like, I don't know who she is, but she's a badass. Sorry if I can't say that, but that's what she is. And I was at the Harvest Cup in like 2019, I think. And Will Lugier, who is yep. uh, the director of the campaign to regulate. So I worked with him on campaign in 2016 he was there and he was with Caroline and he introduced me to her. And I was like, oh my God. And I felt all like and insufficient like, and yes. inadequate. And like, <laughs> psych- you
1: were, and you were Gosh. pregnant. You were pregnant. I was yeah, also as pregnant. Was, yes. As was I, as was I. That's right. Yeah, we
0: I didn't you know, know the it, women like, building the industry. We create yeah. human, we exactly. create businesses. It's, we just do it all. Okay. So you're meeting, you're pregnant. You're talking can- to can-mobbing. each other. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs>
2: and it's really we, so we, that's when we first met. And it wasn't until this past summer when Caroline was putting together her, um, the Green Goddess tournament and she called and was like, Hey, doing this tournament and wanted to get your thoughts on it and see if you wanted to be involved in it. And when she described what it was she was putting together, I was like, I have to be, I have to be there. Yes, whatever you want, please. And then I was kind of just like hoping that we could work together in some way because the event itself was the single best event I've ever been to. And I was married at a golf course. Like, (laughs) oh, really? Okay.
0: I I keep saying it was amazing. I was going to talk about Green Goddess later because I do think it's one of the best events I've been to. I talk about it all the time. And it was really the first event I've been to that was a consumption event that was just so, it was just so lovely. So for my listeners who haven't been paying attention to me talking about this, can you just talk about what it is, what the idea was behind the Green Goddess and how you brought all those powerful women together on this one really nice, beautiful day?
1: Sure. I think the my kind of mode of operation is just to like be super connected to my own creativity. And so when I get an idea, I like to just like call on all my friends like, how can we make this happen? That's just sort of the kind of way when I wake up in the morning, I have an idea of what I'm going to do. But when I fall asleep at night, it's I ended up doing something totally different that day because so I, I got this idea from a, a local business group, the Chamber of Commerce, that was putting on an all women's breast cancer awareness tournament. And I just thought that was beautiful. One of the um, founders was a breast cancer survivor. My mom was a breast cancer survivor. And it got me thinking that like we could and the it was the most fun I had had in a really long time. And it it didn't feel fancy or fussy. It felt uh, just super empowering and silly and lighthearted. And I thought it was a beautiful kind of way for women to connect. And how can we create this on a larger scale within the cannabis industry? So I started to just kind of like call my network, go through my phone and people were like really drawn to the idea. So we kind of put together this exciting first of its kind women in cannabis golf tournament at the Renaissance in Haverhill. We were they when
0: you approached them, when you asked told them this is what you want to do? Were they open to you? Have they met you before? Do they have any idea who you were? Were they like, oh, my God?
1: There was another golf um, course that we sought out first that was maybe not ready for what we were envisioning, which was fine. Um, So we went to the Renaissance thinking Mm -hmm. that it might be the same answer. And they were very warm and receptive to it and just embraced us and were cannabis enthusiasts themselves. And were excited for what we were cooking up, and we actually got a a women PGA pro that came to the event and taught women the skill of golf, the sport Me? of golf. I learned yep. that. I uh, did swing. And yeah. Oh, your and the, the video you put together from the event was adorable. It's when I got to drive the golf cart around and see thirty women out on the green with Kathy McPherson teaching everyone how to swing the club. It was just such a beautiful moment. And to have, so we wanted to create a safe space for women to gather, but also to lift up the work of women that were in attendance. And also all of the vendors were women as much as we could find local women that we compensated for their time and being there. And just to kind of lift up their businesses as well. We invited some really badass women, Kim, one of them, Shaleen Title, former Canvas Control Commissioner, Mitzi Keating, a really awesome cannabis CPA and Dr. Uma on our women's panel to speak about the state of the industry, what we're all doing in cannabis and what the future looks like for women in cannabis, which I think is really exciting. And I think Kim reached out after the event and we were so excited to start brainstorming more and more ways that we can just keep challenging the system. And so I think that is Ultimately, what has borne a friendship between Kim and myself, but also like a really badass duo kind of taking on some some I, fun. Things. I, I, but I like taking on
0: like that stereotype. Again, when I describe myself, I'm a pearl wearing tennis playing yeah. lawyer I'm wearing my Katanji Brown Jackson sweatshirt. I, I mean, this is and but breaking those stigmas about who actually consumes and golf. You don't you think of the country club people, they're drinking their martinis and you're not thinking of the cannabis. But what a perfect sport for cannabis. Lordy, Lord.
1: Yeah,
2: golf cart walking around. <laughs> yeah. I was just really impressed with the appreciation that everyone had that day. The vibe was it's just it was—it was like magical. I think everyone came and just set their baggage down at the door, and was willing to be open and just engage in this event. I kind of let the event and the day hear them and guide them and do what it will, what it would with n. I, I was just, it was, I felt embraced and I felt that everyone was embraced by the day. Um, I, so I it, was it was really what Care 5 Session was about. It was an idea about creating community. It was born out of this idea of creating community or supporting us truly what it did. And anyone who was in attendance will tell you that. You watch the videos, you just, it's visible. You can feel it. I want to live that day every day. Yeah. And I'm still looking forward to the other events that we have planned. <laughs> so mad props to Carolina for putting that together and everyone who was involved. And everyone just stay tuned for what's coming next. That's going to yeah. be a good. One. All right. Kay. Can
1: I can I
0: plug what's coming next? Oh, yeah. I was going to ask. But yeah, what's, what's plugging next? What's happening next? <laughs> All
1: right. So right now, STEM is working on a bong and pong tournament. It's a ping pong tournament also at the Renaissance in Haverhill on May 1st. And it will be a, like, mostly for fun, but I'm sure we'll get competitive ping pong tournament, but also an educational tournament. Glass blowing experience with which oh, wow. we'll be on site giving demos and um, lessons on how to blow your own glass. So, that we're really excited about. And we should be launching that program for other people that want to get involved in the industry in the next week or so. So, stay tuned for that. And then the Green Goddess, year two is coming up on September the 11th. And that will again, once again, be in Haverhill at the Renaissance. And then Kim and I are working on putting together an amazing nonprofit to kind of, as for all the aforementioned reasons that we've been talking about, just seeing a real um, path forward to continue to empower our industry, empower women. It will. It will not be like all women's events, but definitely like a feminine feminine energy to to the nonprofit and and we're really excited about that. So Kim, did I miss anything? Nope. Just we
2: want to educate, empower, and provide opportunity and do that on a local and ultimately national level. But again, just taking that energy that we were able to create that day and hopefully catching it in a bottle and then spreading it sparingly <laughs> across the country and the world. I think if everyone to live a little bit of the energy from that day, every day, like the world would be just such a better place. There's the hope of it all. All right. So let's go back to Are hey, You have a
0: good relationship with your community. You've been there for a long time, yet you chose to file against them because of these <laughs> impact fees, which I have been calling extortion since I literally heard of them. So what compelled you? What was the idea? What was it about? Hap- what, what was it that compelled you that this is? The thing to do and what was what did you actually file? And what was I think something came up from the court a couple of months ago? And what do you expect to happen next? And whoever wants to answer that, go.
1: So I have a lot to say about this, and I know Kim does as well. We've both kind of from different angles been like both dealing with this issue for since it since the legislature kind of put this in place. I took this action this action to address something that I think is unfair in the industry and that is the 3% impact fees and that those should be documented and made public record as the statute and the, the regulatory language indicates. That has not been my experience and I know it's not been many operators' experience that they have been, had received transparency from their communities. I am required to submit those reasonably related costs documented by the city of Haverhill or supposed to be filed by the city of Haverhill um, and I wasn't getting a response. So that is ultimately um what prompted the lawsuit. I didn't take it to pick fights with anyone in the industry. I didn't take it to pick fights with my host community. It was merely like, I feel like I am accountable to a lot of regulatory um, and compliance measures. And that so, I, that's an it, understatement. but yeah, yeah and then <laughs> and furthermore, the fact that, In light of no documentation for the impact fees, the city of Haverhill very much reaching into my pocket and taking the money anyway and crossing that legal line. And and that's ultimately what prompted the lawsuits. In many ways, I think the effort to end impact fees is much like the effort to end prohibition. Cannabis activists didn't stop pushing for legalization when decrim happened. We knew that anything less than full legalization was unfair and unhealthy for society. And I really think the same principle applies here. We need a clear vision for what is the best for the industry. And the best thing for the industry is to challenge this system that is being improperly used by towns and it should never have been instituted in the first place. So we 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 are proud to take a stand. We believe we'll ultimately be successful. We have our pre-trial conference coming up on February the 21st at 2 p.m. For anyone that would like to tune in, Joyce, I can provide that. Zoom information. It is remote, so it gives people access if they want to kind of tune into that and what is going on. So, yeah, just going to see what happens. And I'm, I'm very committed to just holding the city accountable. And, and so far, they've not provided any documentation and furthermore provided sham documentation. So I do believe the court will, will rule in our favor, favor. It's just taking a really long time. The courts take a really long time, right? uh, (laughs) Cam, yeah, yeah. I'm
2: going to add that there have been so recently, just actually the day after or the day before we had the Green Goddess Tournament, the Massachusetts State decided to authorize S3096, which is an act relative to equity in the cannabis industry, and that law changes the way that impact fees are assessed and and taken. It changes the entire process around host community agreements, which have essentially they've been in place since before adult use. They are a holdover from the legalization of medical in Massachusetts. And this was initially created as a way for communities to retain some element of control so that they didn't feel as though like, oh God. The weed shops are coming and we can't do anything and it's just gonna be and who knows. And there was a lot of fear coming from what was going on in California. And the lack of regulation there led to an overregulation here. And unfortunately, host community agreements were not intended to be shakedowns, but that's how they ended up being in practice. It essentially was legalized bribery. It had this impact fee that allowed for a town to take a certain percentage and then maybe they also took something else. And essentially, these licenses at the local level were going to the highest bidder, whoever would promise the most, whether it was stated or not. And that lack of transparency is what really allowed for that to happen. So the Act 2 relative to equity and cannabis industry that was recently signed by the governor's now law, that changes all that. It takes away the ability for there to be kind of a smokescreen behind what's going on. And it also says, you know what, it's been... 10 years that we've had with medical shops, five years plus that have had adult youth shops. What is the impact? Right, is is there an impact? So we have communities that are now either taking away the fees entirely. Well, they are. Or returning them. Get out. To, of. Right, like Boston, returning all the impact fees. And Northampton was the first to say, okay, you know what, we're gonna just have it capped at 3%. We're not gonna be, have any, oh, well, you're like this and you're like this, and da da da. So. Folks are seeing that just because the law says something doesn't mean that it's right and that morality does have a place in the way that we operate and live in this world. So I would like to see the City of painful accept that reality and say that, okay, yeah, just because we have this argument that we think the law allows us to, and to be completely clear, I think they're flat out wrong. I think they know they're wrong. That aside, just because they think they can do something doesn't mean that they should right? there, There is the place for right and wrong, and they should choose to fall on the sign of right so that we can all live in a world that is good for everyone. That's okay. So
0: again, the fear factor, that's like the whole fear factor of like these fees oh, totally. and all these horrible, terrible things are going to happen. And this has been proven not to be true. Like it is just right blatantly not true. So if these communities are going to continue to insist that there are problems, they better
2: be transparent that <laughs> Right, right. Tell us what the problems are. We'll address them, just like any other business should. And how many other businesses that do cause a significant impact are paying impact fees in relation to the impacts? So they, I mean, are for the buyers paying impact none. fees? <laughs> are the opioid, are, is CVS paying an impact fee for the opioids they're distributing? I don't
1: think so.
0: So has and the been like, have they been receptive when you bring these to the, uh, are, they, are they hearing your arguments? The judges seem like they...
1: Absolutely. They uh, are, okay. So although we did not prevail in our motion for summary judgment, which we knew was a long shot, as is any motion for summary judgment, the burden was too high to prove at that time, being that we hadn't gone through depositions and things of that nature. So we knew that it was a long shot. And sure enough, that turns out to be the case. However, the judge had some really strong words for the city of Haverhill and basically said he's not following their accounting. And so that's what I'm not understanding. The city like to Kim's point they're just doubling down. Like here you have the superior court judge telling you they're not following your accounting and have all these questions that you haven't been able to answer and address, but you're still making a economic empowerment applicant in your city endure the legal costs of a lawsuit. It just seems morally and legally not appropriate.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Again, but I mean, it depends. Again, this comes back to government and who is making the decisions and what do people believe? And we are on a mission to crush the stigma. A lot of people still don't believe it and they aren't willing to open their brains to the idea that they might be wrong. I talk about this ad nauseum because it's hard to believe that you are wrong. So whatever biases people are holding, which they don't think they're holding because we don't really know our own brains, they're getting in their own way. So you guys are doing it.
2: You're doing it. You're going I, I would things. love to make one 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 comment here. So this all comes back to policy and how mm-hmm. you create policy and how you implement that policy. So the legislature, we had a ba- uh, question for in 2016, and that had language in the ballot measure that was voted in. The legislature felt, you know what? This language isn't quite right. We need to change it. So they went back and they revised it. And then we had the act of 2017, chapter 55, and that was the revision. It still wasn't perfect, so they've since rewritten it and added the act relative to accruing and cannabis industry. And this is all an exercise in public policy and how what is written does not necessarily reflect what is happening on the ground. Groups like the Marijuana Policy Projects, which I just became a board member and I'm very excited about, they are uh, a group. It's a group that ensures that policy is right from the start. They Mm -hmm. take what they have learned and they help to lobby and adopt and adapt and also just make sure that the laws that we write are the ones that we want. And they change laws to make lives better. So. I am encouraging and I'm asking anyone who's listening, if this, what Caroline is going through is offensive to your ears and to your sense of of goodwill, then please make a donation to the Marijuana Policy Project so that we can make sure that things like this are stopped before they start and be an active voice in your community, be active in policy, show up and be heard. Because if you're not, then you'll just find yourself having to deal with the after effects and hoping that someone comes to help you might be so lucky to have someone like Caroline to help you um, and fight for you, but we could stop it at the start. It's easier. Like it's good parenting advice too. Like it's easier to avoid a problem
0: and to fix a problem. And whoever is whispering in the eyes of the ears of the politicians, whoever is whispering. And if it's this big white, big money and corporations whispering in their ears, that's how the policy is going to be written, which is why we need people to step up who understand the industry, who know how to speak their language and are able to persuade them that this Cannabis industry is good for all of us. Hemp is good for all of us, and that the policy should not just be based on money and fear. So that's what they're doing. Right. I love that. All right, we are gonna run out of time, but we're gonna keep going. All right, you're supposed to moms The cannabis story. All right, Carolyn, how about how old are your kids now? Two
1: and five.
0: They're little. i uh, Kim. Two, five, five, eleven, and thirteen. Oh, so you're going through all of it. All right. So yes. Yeah. So um, what's uh? <laughs> so does, what? I think that this generation, they're smarter. They know what it is. Obviously, you're, Caroline, your parents own a dispensary, so they know exactly what it is. How do you, what do they know about cannabis? What do they think about it? Do you see a big difference from when you were growing up? How you, I don't know, just what is the transition to your children? What do they think of cannabis?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I grew up, it's absolutely stay away from it. Don't talk about it. You can't have it in your house. And you got in big trouble if when I was 14 getting caught smoking weed and on the side of the garage. But I think as a parent, it's such a beautiful thing because if we're, my husband and I are being our authentic selves, it's just a seamless part of our life. So it's not like this big sit down conversation mm-hmm. my two year old son, mom, here's your cannabis. Like it's not supposed to be over here. Can we put it back where it goes? Like they know the order of everything. They know what a kid gummy is versus an adult gummy. They know the rules. There are rules that make sense. You know the rules. Can I have a a sip of that beverage, mom? No, it has cannabis in it. Oh, okay. Like, can I have a juice box instead? Sure. Yeah, Uh, It's the same as if I was having a glass of wine. So I think that's been a really interesting and eye-opening thing Mm -hmm. that hasn't been at all stressful for us. And I'm so glad that it hasn't been because I have so many dear friends that Their children are a little bit older, and Kim probably has maybe experienced it from all angles. But they haven't been so lucky to be as open with about it, and they're trying to figure out how to bring that conversation in with their children. But I think from my perspective, we've just always been open about it. My daughter talks about cannabis at school. She did a cannabis collage, and then her she goes to a very awesome, open minded Montessori school, and they asked her to please explain what cannabis was to her classmates. And she said, it's it's just a very beautiful plant. It's a very beautiful plant. And they actually, it's downtown Haverhill. They actually walk the Montessori by our shop. And this was like, everyone was so on the opposition side was so fearful of this. But all they say is that's Charlie's mommy and daddy's shop. And everyone goes, cool. And then like they pick their nose and they walk across the street to the other side. And then they go back to their school it's i think and that goes, a... that, goes, that, go, that goes back to that
0: fear like i used to practice family law and it was always in the best interest of the children but it's never in the best interest of the children they always use this weird thing like whatever it is it's about the children but it has nothing to do it's a scaremongering if it's just normalized it's amazing all right so your kids know it's all normal and they can come to the store and kim so you've been in this forever like for ha- like yeah
2: yeah I mean, we i just used to call her how. so we live in Sudbury now but we lived in um, now, Nubian Square, then Dudley Square in Boston for ever. Um, still own homes there. And we raised our kids there. And I was called at the house that Hemp built because everything in the house was Midnight of Hemp. And the kids would come and hang out at the hemp of a stoop or behind the counter. And they literally, like, they grew up there. So, John had my husband, who also is in the cannabis industry. Obviously, he's a licensed cultivator and, um, manufacturer and has just just received his final license for a second retail store which will be the first retail adult use store to open up in quincy with the cannabis so go check it out he posted that
0: this morning i think
2: i saw that yeah okay yes. that's yep. awesome <laughs> to open up in march um so yeah they they have grown up around this and it's been it's a medicine we've used obviously and when i talked about shay and her treatments it was written into her medical plan we, g- we gave her full spectrum CBD. We still give her a full spectrum of CBD daily. She loves it. And it's like that's part of her life. It's not something that has ever been taboo, but our kids are, they understand the use of it as a medicine and in the way that they understand the use of all medicine, right? Like you don't take Tylenol if you don't need it. And it's, they obviously smoking is not something that they would ever do, at least I hope to dot they don't ever smoke but you know they they understand that it's just something else that's in the world and i feel like it's much at least for us it's about a world perspective and the culture that we create for our children so that they're citizens of the world and they're understanding how they impact the world how the world impacts them so it's not like so you how, can't I do fact, this you can do that like thought this ask, yes and I, no can, I, can, thing? I, can I ask
0: about Sudbury. this is like kind of yeah. a
2: like a white hoity
0: 20 how are you are you accept like Do they know about your, do everyone
2: know about you? Do they know who you are? Well, I mean, (laughs) we have our plants out. Like if you come around, you'll see them. Like in the summer, it's, we've got our weed out. we are growing our plants because we can. And John, I was mentioning, so he had the hemp van, the hempist van. That was a big Big Ford van that he had like hemp plants painted all over and it ran on grease. So the van runs on hemp. Anyway, so it was all, you would see it on 95. You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. See I've, I've, I've seen, seen it. it. <laughs> exactly. And like, he, we were in Boston. The teachers at the school that our kids went to were like, oh, we don't have this. We love this store. I got my backpack there. It's like, it's just such a fixture that people know the hempists. And so they know the store is this, Nazi, this uh, inoff, inoffensive thing that people appreciate and know is a good business downtown and so are the people. So it was never uh, unaccepted. People out here aren't the same. It's there been something that people are resistant to. Or if they, if they are, they're not telling me about it. But like, we've always been the people that are, we've always been the weed people. <laughs> and they own it. I love that. All right. I'm actually up on time. I can't believe it. All
0: right. So you guys are out there normalizing it by being your amazing selves with all your children and your businesses and your advocacy and your policy work and your smart. So thank you for existing. Caroline and Kim. Caroline, what's the best way to connect with you or someone wants to come out into the store? And same question for you, Kim.
1: Oh, yeah. So you can always send me an email, caroline at com. And also definitely uh, a plug for our Instagram at Stem But we're working on some really cool stuff. So stay in touch, reach out. And if you want to get involved with Bong and Pong and the Green Goddess, I'd love to chat more about that. Yeah, yeah. You, know, can, you can find me um, on Instagram,
2: Kim Napoli EFQ. I'm on LinkedIn. My personal email is Kim at com. Big surprise. I'm also a board member for the Minority Cannabis Business Association as well. And I could be reached at that email, kim at mcba.org as well. So thank you so much for having me, Joyce. I really appreciate it. And also thank being here with you, Caroline. Always a good time. I've been I've been stalking her for like, honest to God, like a year. So
0: thank you for joining us finally. So thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Kim, for joining us. And that's another show. So for my of Bro, David Jazz, and our Canon Mom Show team, I want to thank you for finding the time to listen to the Candy Mom Show, where we're on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Candy Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network.